It's almost the weekend again. We're doing things in reverse this weekend. Uh, I'm for it. I'm all yeah. for it. <laughs> that was a great wind-up, by the way. Very. Um, Thank you. You brought the energy. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. I'll try again. It's almost the weekend. That, that's, yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> Hey, dude, for the first time in um, Ita Wikenko history, we are recording on the actual day that we say that we record on every week. That's true. That's true. Against it is all the odds. Yeah, I know. It is legitimately almost the weekend. <laughs> it's almost the weekend for us and for you. And for you. Oh, that reminds me. A new episode of the pod came out today. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, dude! Oh, it's very good to hear your voice. How uh, mm. how are you? And what video games have you been playing, dude? I told you last night, but I'm good, and I've been playing Hollow Knight, and I just finished it last night. So hell yeah! I got a bone to pick with you about Hollow Knight, uh, but I, I, overall, I really loved it. I had a great time. Um, it had it at a certain point. It like had my heart and soul. You know, like how mm-hmm. a game sort of grip grips you and you're like ah, now i just got to finish this game now there's nothing else for it <laughs> yeah yeah um and so yeah but there was a couple points that i maybe we'll talk about later that uh, that i thought were a little bit kind of harder for me to grip onto and also it sounds like there's heaps more to do um so yeah I'm, i feel like i'm not done with it yet but also i'm, I'm glad to have seen credits yeah yeah so it is an interesting experience in that way so like the, fir- I, the first time I beat Hollow Knight, I was like, that was a good game. You know, I can see what the fuss is about. Like, the mm. world is so fleshed out. The atmosphere, the boss fights, the movement, the combat. There's so much here. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And, like, I did what you did. My first playthrough was, like, 20 hours. Um, had a good time. Absolutely destroyed that final boss. And was like, cool. I guess, uh, I guess that's it. And then I came back a year later and... I just, for whatever reason, oh, you know what? The reason was Sekiro. I was playing Sekiro and um, I like beat Sekiro four or five times in a row. And I was just like, man, I love this combat, but I've kind of run it into the ground. I remember Hollow Knight having really good combat. So I'm going to dive back in. And my second time around with Hollow Knight, I just took my time. You know, I just played it really slowly you know when i found a hot spring i literally would just sit there for 10 minutes and like listen to the music (laughs) and just chill out and soak it all up and um when i just slowed down and took my time it's like the whole world opened up for me i just found all of these things that i missed um Mm. on my first run through and like by the time i finished my second run I was like, this is the best experience I've ever had with the video game. And it was amazing to me how different it was to the first time. Like, the first time was good, even great. But, like, I didn't see anywhere near as much content as that game has to offer. You know how we talk about, like, Bloodborne having Kanehurst Castle? And it's just amazing that there's a whole level that most players will never see. Dude, in Hollow Knight, there's like six Kanehurst castles. It's <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Well, in, in that text you sent me, you were like, "These are my top five favorite areas, or whatever." And I was like, "I know one of those areas." <laughs> like, I feel like I've seen everything on. Maybe I haven't. I don't know. It's. I mean, I definitely haven't by the sounds of it. But 
yeah, the way that map sort of un unfolds in front of you is really interesting. And it, one of my favorite parts about it is it's like, oh, there's this whole other area that like, if I had have just like gone right mm. <laughs> instead of down this hole, I would have found it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's cool that there's there's all of that stuff. And I, I think I will go back in, but I think I need a little break. And I I do want to. It's it's interesting. You mentioned Sekiro because I I picked up Sekiro from my mate yesterday, and I do want to play Sekiro again. So I mean, yeah, it's I don't know. There's just a lot of parallels between those two games. I think yeah. the combat experiences. Like they're the top, they're top tier. There's no, mm. there's no other video game that's that's even come close to me compared to those two. Yeah, yeah. I was I was watching a little playthrough of Sekiro that someone was doing uh, just on YouTube. I just found a random YouTuber and started watching it because I was like, I need my Sekiro fix. I need it now. <laughs> um, and uh, the it was it was interesting. There's a, it's like really text heavy at the start of that game, like super text heavy. Yeah, I'm trying. Do you remember that? trying to remember see i i got last time i played Sekiro, like i could beat that game in like 90 minutes two hours you know so oh, like i don't it. i don't really remember what the normal experience is like i'm sure there's uh, like yeah. plenty of text but when you're like basically just running to the boss battles you you, yeah, do, you, you don't, you don't soak that. in any of that <laughs> yeah because yeah the, the the episodes whatever they run for like 40 minutes or half an hour or something and mm -hmm. a lot of the time it's just her listening to you know the japanese dialogue or like reading some piece of tutorial message right and it's just like the first you know i guess up until you fight the first boss the um the ogre guy mm. it um it it really does a pretty um i don't know not heavy-handed but it really lays on a lot of info in that first hour or so where it's like here's how the healing gourd works and here's how combat works and I think even despite all of that, people still got that game wrong, <laughs> you know, mm. like they didn't understand how to play it, mm. which is I'm... an interesting thing in that game. It's like not a failing, but it's like, you know, like these Souls games always struggle to do this. Yeah. So, I, cool. And that's it. Like, let's, let's call it what it is. So like from software are shit at designing their first levels. They're just yeah. so bad at it. They're really bad at teaching the player. Like, do you remember, you know, Dark Souls has... Uh, the first Dark Souls, it's probably the best version of that where you start off in the asylum and as oh, as you demon, work yeah. through the asylum, there's, like, messages on the ground. And yeah. even they... that, though, you don't have to read those messages. The player can run right by and be like, I don't know what that is. Okay, so I think that is a good thing. I think, okay. yeah, when you <laughs> when you give the player the option to interact with something, I, regardless of how important that might be, I actually think that's a positive. But what <laughs> what it what it does differently compared to all their other games is it paces the tutorial well in like bloodborne or elden ring i mean dude in bloodborne all those messages that tell you how to play the game are in the hunter's dream where there's no enemies and you can't like test any of the stuff out it's yeah, very yeah. silly and then i mean elden ring is just a fucking train wreck that first hour has like 40 menus that <laughs> pause the game and it's just a mess <laughs> yeah yeah one of which you can encounter you you don't have to encounter until you pull out the weapon it's like I'm gonna try out this bow this time on this on this boss, and then you pull out the bow right as the end. The boss is about to hit you, and it's like, but did you know? Here's <laughs> yeah. how bows work. Yeah, very dumb, very dumb. Prompt soft, get it together. 
God damn. Uh, yeah, it's it's um it's hard because there's a lot of information to put, portray, and I've been thinking about this lately, just with the game that I'm making right now. Like, mm -hmm. how do you tell the player that this is how the game works? Mm. It's like a huge topic in and of itself, where it's like, you know, there's like UI on the screen, and then there's like in-world stuff. You know, like in the Artful Escape, like all of the creatures had like the musical key, which was the shape of a controller. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, X, Y, B, uh, right bumper, left bumper as part of their actual design. So mm. their faces and eyeballs would look like a controller and when they lit up, it would correspond. Yeah. So yeah, there's like stuff like that where it's like, oh, it just, it makes sense kind of, what's, is it diegetic? Is that the term I'm thinking of? Like in the world is oh, like... I can I can never remember if non-diegetic is in the world or outside of the world. Like I can't, <laughs> I can never remember which is which, but just... If, if Phoebe was here, she would tell us. <laughs> yeah, just, just pretend you got it right and play on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like a diegetic, you know, part of the experience. And then there's like the, the, the polar opposite, which is like the, the, the um, Elden Ring way of doing it, where the tutorial's in a hole and all the messages are optional and they just pause the game and a heavy block of text appears. Ugh, yeah. Very right? gross. Very gross. And there's somewhere in the middle where it's like Mega Man X, where it's like there's no tutorials, but it still teaches you to play the game by just you experiencing the game, which mm. is, you know, I think that's the best way to do it, but it's like the hardest possible way to do it, and it doesn't always work. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a level of complexity that you're not able to communicate when you you design your tutorial like that. You know, like how, yeah. how are you going to teach a player how the blacksmith works yeah based on level design because like you yeah. you really have to rely on like level design and enemy movesets to teach the player certain things and like sometimes you need to teach the player like how to look in menus and stuff and it's just like you know that's a level of complexity that i don't think video games has worked out just yet yeah yeah i know that um so oh man we are already way out of topic i mean the, I, I really like the way that hollow knight does it <laughs> there was an experience i had last night when i was playing i got the the shadow cloak or whatever it is the one that lets you dash through the the black gates oh yeah and through enemies like and through enemies oh, yeah. game changer but yep go on. yeah huge game changer and um when you first get it there's two pits that you have to dash past to um exit the little area where you get the item mm-hmm and it's so beautifully done because the pits are spaced in such a way that if you dash and then don't allow the uh, cloak to recharge because it has a little recharge time on mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. which it doesn't explain to you, I don't think, in the, in the item description. It just has like, when you first get the item, it's like, here's a shadow cloak, dash through enemies, mm. that's it. Yeah, and so... Then, and then it's like, yeah, the little recharge. And the, the pits are spaced pit so perfectly that if you just mash mash it as you normally would do with dash you'd fall in a pit and die mm. it's like oh now you know that you have to wait for the thing to recharge and i was like that's that's glorious right there yeah yeah i'm i think hollow knight does a lot of things like that with its mechanics that are just yeah. like super elegant and i mean yeah i i booted it up like for 90 minutes over the weekend and oh, yeah. i just i just had goosebumps almost the whole time i was just <laughs> like oh my god but um yeah it was it was good to visit but i'm not ready to quite dive into to hello nest once more yeah that's fair enough um yeah so anyway that's hollow night i had a really good time 
Um, and I, I do want to go back. I was looking at some just video footage of some of the bosses and I was like, that looks like fun. Mm, yeah. um, and I, I do, I don't think I want to start again because currently uh, the prospect of like finding all of the stuff again is not a good thing for me. Yeah. I think like the, the experience I had where you wait a year is, is yeah, a really good idea. Like or if you want to go back sooner, just like after you beat the final boss, it just puts you back outside the boss room. Like you yeah, can absolutely yeah. just go and experience the rest of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a little bit of that after I finished. I was like, what's this, what's the experience here? And I realized that, yeah, you just go back out and you can run around and you've got all the same stuff yeah. uh, that you had before you fought the boss. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. Oh, um, I, I guess the other thing that I thought was a little bit off about it was the only boss that I really struggled with was that one that I messaged you about the, mm. um, the two twin princes or twin kings or whatever they are. I don't the, know. the watch knights? The watch knights, yeah. Those two fuckheads. God yeah. damn. Oh, there was like five of them or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I don't know if it was just like the, the mood that I was in that night when I, or that couple of days when I was fighting that boss, but mm-hmm. man, it was the hardest boss for me in the entire game by a, a huge stretch. I mean, I hate to be that dude, but I doubt you've seen more than half the bosses in the game. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, the, the core experience of bosses, I felt like the... Um, oh, I for see. For me, this is like a... Yeah, like a, a drawback to it is, like, all of the bosses had really good difficulty and, mm. like, a little bit of challenge, and some of them were easier than others or whatever, mm-hmm. which I thought was good. But that one boss, which was... Is he, like, a core boss you have to beat to be able to beat the game? Yeah, he's a story boss. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, that one story boss was, like, a huge standout in, like, a way that made it, like why is this guy so hard? <laughs> you know, like right. I expected that kind of difficulty in the final boss or like, you know, some other, like one of the other three big masky boys that you have to fight uh, throughout, you know, I expected to have that level of challenge at all of them. And I didn't. Mm, mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I get that there's like heaps of bosses and probably ones that are like way harder than him as well, which mm. is, um, you know, a guarantee. But um, yeah, I just felt like that was a weird pacing or weird, uh, just a weird choice. I don't know. Yeah, I th- I think it might be just one of those things where every every person will have a different experience with the game yeah. like that, and like that that's a boss I beat on the first time. Like, God damn it, <laughs> I, you, you know, like, and it's same with like Sekiro. I remember like yeah. talking to you and Demo about the um the gorilla, and like oh, I God. I beat the gorilla on the second time. It just wasn't oh. a problem for me. But like other bosses in that game were like incredibly difficult for me and you were like man after the gorilla that shit was easy and it's just yeah. like i think i think it's one of those games where like because the boss fights are so varied everyone's gonna have like a different boss fight that just completely stumps them yeah right yeah i think you're 100 percent correct <laughs> it's just me being like oh my experience is the only experience <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a gamer. Uh, um, so, uh, how are you doing and what have you been playing? <laughs> uh, I'm good, dude. I mean, I'm always good when one of my friends is playing Hollow Knight, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, yes. I've been playing... Man, I, I could fill the rest of this podcast up with games that I've been playing. I've been playing a wow. lot of games. Um, Let's do it. I've been playing Day Sex, Mankind Divided. Do you Do you know anything about this game? Uh, is it the sequel or the original Deus Ex? Uh, I think it's the latest one. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I do know about that game, yep. Yeah, it came out, like, maybe six years ago. Um, and man, I, I've uh, kind of like Psychonauts. Deus Ex has just passed me by. I haven't. Yep. 
I've just never played it, never paid any attention to it, and this was um, accessible on PS Plus a couple of months back, and I decided to load oh, it up. Cool. And holy shit, dude, the world building in this game is incredible. It's, yeah? it's one of the most amazing worlds I've ever been in. It's What it, the heck? Dude, it's mind-bogglingly good. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's based in 2029. It's like cyberpunk... Um, the, the main game seems to be based in Prague, um, which is really cool because I've never played a video game that's been based in Prague. Um, Mm. even if this is like a totalitarian kind of futurist Prague rather than like a realistic one. Um, but holy shit, the environments are just so detailed and so rich and alive. It's, it's, it's blowing my mind a little bit. Um, but like, my God, the animations and the voice acting are atrocious. I mean, I haven't seen, like the animations are so bad. They might actually stop you from playing it. Like they're, oh, they're so bad when two characters are talking. I mean, you know, it makes Final Fantasy X look like a masterclass in animation. And that's, (laughs) that's not a good thing. Um, and I don't know what happened. I think maybe this game ran out of money. Like, right. it, it really does seem that way because the environments and, like, the combat and the way you can approach scenarios is just incredible. It's like... Is, is the in-game yeah, like combat animation good? Like, moving around? Okay, okay, so, like, it's... I've not I've not played a game like it. It's both... A, a, a cover shooter in third person and a first person oh. shooter. You can just choose oh. how you want to play as you play. Oh. Um, and I haven't, I haven't quite seen that before, but like every time, um, you know, it's, it's got like a stealth, the uh, option for you, I guess. Yeah. And every, yeah. every time you like stealth someone, the screen fades to black, you do the animation, the screen fades to black, and you're back where you were. It's, like, yep. really clunky and weird. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's just, like, the story is quite good, and the the dialogue is mediocre to really good. Um, mm. And it's just during those moments, like, characters cycle through, like, three to four animations just over and over again, and oh. it's just very strange. Um, very weird, but yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm loving my time here. Like th- mm, cool. this game has a soul, um, despite its many flaws, which are obvious from the get go. Um, yeah, right. yeah. So man, day sex, man, kind of divided. If you all have that in your PS plus library, you should totally beat that shit up and walk around. It's really cool. Mm. Um, and I finished one of your favorite games, um, oh, yeah. Link, Link yeah. Between Worlds. Dude, so solid. Enjoyed the hell out of it. And I think I think the 3DS was just the perfect console for it. I loved I loved having your gear in the screen below. Felt like mm. I was on an on an adventure with my little backpack and all my shit in there. Like it <laughs> it, it was really really cool. Um yeah. the dungeons were amazing. The boss fights were really cool. Um, the mechanics, the painting mechanic, the like Metroidvania stuff. Yeah, look, just a really solid experience. I think um, if I had a friend who was like 
Um, I don't play video games, but I want to get into video games. I would give mm. them this Zelda. It just, yeah. it's just so well-rounded. Yeah, it's a really great, um, like there's no real amount of challenge at any real point I found. Like it kind of just like lets you plod through it at this nice clip, which, which totally. is cool. That's kind of, that's kind of my ideal scenario mm, yeah <laughs> don't challenge me i'm a soft boy um, <laughs> yeah it was very relaxing yeah relaxing is a good word to put a good way to put it and yeah just the, the the twist on the whole like going between light and dark world and the way you can become 2d in a 3d world is i thought really nicely done i think it, it's got such potential to like just fall on its ass in a really you know nintendo-y kind of way but mm. it, i think it, it despite all of that it, it just came through and was just such a pleasing, fun, chill time for uh, me, as I remember it. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly how I felt as well. Um, the, the only thing I wish I saw more of, which you don't see until the end, is, like, one of, one of the great things about this game is your sword swings as fast as you can hit the button. And oh, yeah. whilst it's satisfying to just swing your sword for no reason at all, like, the game isn't designed around that at all until the very end. And at the very end, when you're, like, playing tennis with Ganon, basically, yeah. um, I was just like, this is the fucking best thing ever. Why why wasn't this scattered all throughout the game? It would have been so good because, like, you can react so quickly. I feel like there should have been more enemies that, like, have this kind of tennis mechanic where you're, like, yeah. batting balls of energy around. I thought that would have been really fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's always been, well, in my experience, in like um, Ocarina of Time, this was like how you fought Ganon originally, and right. like Shadow Ganon and all that sort of stuff. You would like hit the ball of energy back and forth, and it was a game of like, yeah, tennis. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's, I wish they would just be like, yeah, let's put this on some other enemies and mix it up a little bit and have mm. it so it can bounce off other walls and whatever, you know, like... There's all sorts of cool stuff they could have done with it for other enemies. But yeah, I, I agree. It, it was it was cool and I wish it would be more not just Ganon thing. Yeah, yeah. But look, had a great time. Super chill. Loved it. Nice. Nice. Oh. News. All right. Shall we uh, fall onto some news? Have you got any news for us? Uh, do I ever have a three-piece feed? So settle down, open up that web game amount, and uh, <laughs> oh, let, me, let me feed you some <laughs> three-piece feed. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Yep, yep, let's go. Um. Oh, never mind. I was going to tell you a story about something that happened at work yesterday, but I, I probably shouldn't. It's not... <laughs> it, it might give away too much about the game. It might not be suitable for this podcast. <laughs> Maybe I'll tell you another time. Okay, you know everyone oh, okay. is just imagining something that is, like, way worse, but, but play I on. Know, it's pretty bad, but yeah, okay, I'll play on. Okay, so three-piece feed. First piece of news. Uh, we've got a trailer for a game called High on Life. Um, oh. and this is Justin Roiland's new first-person shooter. Wait, um, the Rick and Morty guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah, um, I'll see if I can just send you just a section of the gameplay and you can get... Yeah, here we go, this will work. Um, it's basically like, imagine Rick and Morty dialogue, but in a video game. And to me... It totally does not work. It's just it's just nonsense. Like I, I can't wait to just not be in any of these conversations and it, it just to me this this game looks like a real average time. 
but yeah, there's the trailer and I think it's got a time code nested in it. So you'll just start at the, the video at, at where it happens. All right. Um, I, I will click it. We may have to vamp through the inevitable ads. Okay. Um, if there's ads, I will just um, do the next piece of news. Yeah. Okay. I'm watching it now. Oh God. Okay. It's horrible. It's like, it's like a bug's life meets doom 2016, mm. except obviously a lot worse, uh, a lot worse than both of those. All right, yeah, no, I'm out. I'm out. No thanks. Yeah. I can't. I can't do that. It's very cringy to watch. <laughs> it's so cringy. And then the in parts in the combat that all of the enemies are like doing that dialogue while you're fighting them as well. Like, yeah, it's so uh, yeah, cringy and and hard to hard to watch. Yeah, um, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Justin. Roland. Roland. Yeah. Roland. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so yeah. That's that's high on life, and that trailer came out, and everyone was like, yeah, "What's what's the deal? What's going on here, bro? <laughs> Why have you done this?" Uh, at least at least I was. Um, second piece of news: Konami Liga says the MGS remasters for one through three are true and coming to console and PC. So whoa, I send you this piece of. He's a leaker, so we don't know if it's oh, true or not. But okay. it's you know, okay. he leaks news, or this person leaks news, and you know, I I I, I I'm pretty confident. I. You know, I think uh, <clears throat> of all the companies to like keep stuff locked down, mm-hmm. I don't think Konami would be doing the best job of that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, That's yeah, a good I think point. they're more interested in other things, and this, these ports are probably just outsourced. And you know, someone probably got a hold of some emails, and that's you know, this is just what's going on. Mm, yeah. Um, but I hope they're getting a good company or studio to do the remasters, and they're yeah, I'm really really keen to play all those games again. I think that would be fun. Totally, totally. I mean, just just whatever it takes to get those games onto current consoles so, like, new young people can play them, that's just, that's where it's at. Yes, yes, new young people. <laughs> fresh, fresh out of the bats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the third piece of news, speaking of remasters, The Last of Us Part 1 has come out and received a relatively warm reaction. Uh, it's rebuilt, you know, it's not even like a remaster, it's like a full-on re- rebuild. Right. Um, and they've, they've redone a lot of the animations and all the lighting and effects and a lot of all the environments have had, you know, not just a coat of paint, they've basically gone through and uh, rebuilt pretty much everything, as well as heaps of... Um, accessibility features that were like so award-winning in uh last of us part two and so i think that if anything that's uh valid uh, for them to re-release this game uh not just with that extra extra appeal of the you know bringing it up to standard but also giving it the chance to be played by folks who wouldn't have been able to play it in the first place through all of this good good accessibility updating yeah and if you've never played it before that's probably the version to play but um, yeah. you probably would be better off buying a PlayStation 3 console and the original game for the same price as this new game um, mm. and just having a PlayStation 3 and then access to all those PS3 games that are just dirt cheap on eBay. Um, but, like, yeah. yeah, if you've got a brand new console and you've never played The Last of Us, throw that big money down the big money down uh throw it down hard and um and enjoy a harrowing time <laughs> totally yeah speaking of ps3 actually here's a little bag chip i'm gonna see if i can remember this piece of news correctly but i think 
PlayStation has stopped doing updates for the PlayStation 3 and for the Vita. Oh, and yeah, so, yeah. And they, yeah. they killed the stores, I think, like the digital stores. They've killed the store for the PlayStation, so you can't buy games on, on the online store anymore. Correct. Rare, rare, so- I just said rare. <laughs> <laughs> rare. Yeah, wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's sad. Yeah, um, yeah, it's sad. I feel like I'm, there was a missed opportunity there to like go online on the last day and like snatch up everything for dirt cheap if, if they even did something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because I know Xbox 360 had something like that where when that shut down, it was just like everything's three dollars off you go. <laughs> oh really? Oh man, that's... it wasn't that cheap, but it was cheap. Yeah, right. Oh man, yeah. Maybe they did have a swan song like that, but uh, that would have been a great idea had we have known. Yeah. Also, if I still had my PlayStation Three, I think I sold it. Wait, let me look in the cupboard. Right. No, it's still there. It's still there. It's large and in charge and up on the top shelf. Uh, covered <laughs> oh, in dust. You love to hear it. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's the news. Do you have any extra bag chips? I got no bag chips. But speaking of things you love to hear, uh, we're going to talk about reviews. We uh, we we had a. Uh, it's almost the weekend. Super fan Jim, uh, ring in via email and and let us know that that he'd like to hear us talk through some reviews malarkey, um, mm. and I didn't realize how passionate I was about this subject. I think um, I think critiquing things is just really fun. I mean, as you can tell by the first 20 minutes of this podcast, <laughs> like all we did is <laughs> talk shit about Hollow Knight and stuff. Um, yes. But uh, I, w- I want to break down a couple of things. And uh, like always, you can, you can call me on my bullshit and we'll go from there. Excellent. So, Sounds good, dude. Off you go. Launch into it. All right. So I think um, I think video game reviews can be split into two different categories for me. Um, so the first category is reviewing a video game as a product versus reviewing the artistic value of video of a video game. And this is this mm. is like something we'd see in a video essay. Um, and and it is worth noting I am kind of stealing this from. A YouTuber called Joseph Anderson. He has a Hollow Knight video that's really old now. He did it when it, when Hollow Knight first came out. And just a quick aside, it is amazing to see how that game operated when it first came out. Like there were fewer stag stations. There was no dream oh. nail. Like there was just like oh yeah, there was just so much content that they added after the initial release that I didn't realize because I didn't play it till a couple of years after that. No dream nail. Does that mean that there was that whole graveyard area that didn't exist anymore yeah yeah i guess that wasn't there in in base game um and it's it's weird because it just feels so natural to the world um totally feels like it was always there um anyway in his hollow knight video he spends five minutes reviewing the video game as a product and then like an hour um reviewing the artistic value of the game and i just thought that was just a kind of um great way to kind of see how much time each one of these takes. But I, I thought I'd uh, I'd dive a, a little bit deeper and give us some definitions to go with. So for me, reviewing games as a product is probably the most common style of review that you'll see. Um, mm. You'll see it on IGN's front page as well as in gaming magazines like Edge. Um, and I love referencing Edge just because they did that infamous Doom review 
where they gave it a seven out of 10 and they were like, if only we could talk to these creatures. So like, (laughs) (laughs) if only we could talk to these creatures. Oh my God. So like every time I can mention Edge magazine, I will mention Edge magazine. Um, I love it. Anyway, this type of review is like the OG review before the internet changed day one video game releases forever. It's a, it's a short form type of review that describes what the game is like and how it's played. So like generally I find these types of reviews to be incredibly inaccurate and they're often more of a representation of what will be popular rather than on an honest assessment of like how far gaming has come since Pac-Man. And um, (laughs) to prove my point, I'm going to jump on here and I'm going to read on Metacritic, which Mm. which is basically a website that um, brings all of the critic reviews together and gives it like an overall score based on all those reviews. Um, And I'm going to read you the the top five video games of all time um, just to demonstrate that it is a popularity thing when you give video games a score. So um, this is, these are going to be like product style reviews, right? Uh, I'm just giving you the number. So okay. like, what do you think is the most the the best video game of all time? Uh, it's like Grand Theft Auto Five. Oh, not bad. Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Okay. Um, yes. n- number two, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two. Oh, what? <laughs> num- number three, Grand Theft Auto Four. Oh, okay. Number four, Soul Calibur. So. What? So you can see, like, the, these are definitely not the best video games of all time. Like, these, this is not even close. It's just about what's popular with these types of reviews. And, like, oh. I, I get that they have to include scores. Like, a thousand words is hardly enough to capture the essence of what any one video game might accomplish. But, mm. and, and, like, that's the bottom line. You know, these reviews are designed to quickly inform any gamer with a soaking wet gamer tongue whether the latest and greatest video <laughs> game is worth their spit and saliva. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a, a quick kind of modern 10 out of 10, oh, my God, all right, I'm going to buy this game. Um, and, and that's cool. Like, if gaming is just, like, not something you want to dive deep into that's fantastic. You can just go to Metacritic, see what, like, game has the best score for the month and, like, buy it and not, like, spend too much time umming and ahhing. And so, like, for that purpose, I think it, it's fine. So, pivoting here and going to the other style of review where you're reviewing the artistic value of, of a video game, this is, mm. like, this is, like, a much spicier kettle of fish. So, like... Generally speaking, this kind of content comes a little while after a game's release, um, but it's a much more thorough investigation into what a video game might offer you on a more evocative level. So, like, for me, it's a direct evolution to that original Edge magazine thousand-word review article. Um, This is, like, for the thirsty, moist players that crave something juicier. Um, mm. and, and, you know, it, it doesn't come without its hiccups. Like, I think there can be plenty of pretentious wank when it comes to video essays and YouTubers. Like, yeah. they'll try and convince you that Pong is like some kind of nihilistic commentary on why there hasn't been any in- innovation in art since Bark. And like, g- yeah, right. g- good for them. Um, but I just think there's so much stuff out there. Um, that everyone can find a video essayist to enjoy. And I, I think that's kind of key. Like, would you agree that 
it's more important to find the style and personality you like rather than what they specifically cover? Um, yes. I mean, my uh, while you were talking just then, I wrote down a little question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also nearly wet myself laughing, laughing uh, at the, what did you say, moist tongue? <laughs> it's gone. Soaking wet tongue or something? <laughs> it's, um, it's gone. One time gone. only. Yeah. God damn. Um, yeah. So I wrote down, what is the point of a review? Um, like, so, I mean, you're jumping ahead a little bit. We'll get there, Joe. Yeah, okay, but right, okay. but, but <laughs> I, I, I think, I think just quickly, like based on these two types of reviews, the yeah. point of a review about a product is to inform the consumer yeah. on where they should spend their time and money. Got it. Yeah, and and whereas where we're going now with like video essays, it's mm-hmm. it's less tangible. It's more evocative. It's like when we look at the industry and the art form as a whole, where does this video game in particular fit in? Okay, so for me, I, I think with the product review, I tend to scroll to the bottom or skip to the end and see their ten out of ten score and read the dot points. I don't really care about what they have to say about the video game, like nine times out of ten. Right. Yeah. Um, like I, I will usually just like, if you know, once they start talking, I'm like, okay, that I'll get, I'll like gauge on whether or not anything they're saying has any merit, and usually it's it's just drivel, right? Like they're usually yeah. just like harping on about. Yeah, they're basically saying video games have come a long way since Pac-Man. They're just doing that <laughs> part over and over again, like ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, and so I'll skip to the end and see like when they actually have something to say. And oftentimes I will agree or disagree and then make an in- informed decision off, not off of that. I won't even like use it for any kind of metric. Mm. I'm more interested in, yeah, the, the longer form essays. Uh, and I think what's really cool about the longer form essays is they can serve two, for me, they serve two purposes. If mm-hmm. it's a game that I've never played, just watching the first 10 minutes of, of it will give me enough information to know whether or not it's something that I'll be interested in, mm-hmm. which is, is strange because oftentimes those product reviews go for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's enough to like whet my appetite and be like, okay, it's this is something I'm interested in. You know, the, the path that this looks like it's about to go down is somewhere where I'd like to follow. So I'll play the game and then come back and watch the rest later or mm. just forget about the review and just play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I've already played the game, it serves as sort of like a little follow-up, um, what would you call it? Uh, like a dessert <laughs> to a fired BL. Right. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like, I love Death Stranding and then I'll go and watch like Eurothug's hour long Death Stranding video. Or yeah. I really like, you know, Tim Rogers. And so, or like, I really like, um, what's a game like Doom or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'll go and watch Tim Rogers, Tim Rogers review on Doom and be like, oh, hell yeah. You know, like. This is the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, like, the other side of the coin is, like, watching a really in-depth th- review for a game I will never play. Like, I watched Tim mm. Rogers spend six hours reviewing Tokimeki Memorial. Um, oh, yeah. And, and I'd never heard of that game. Uh, i probably never play it because it doesn't have an English translation. Um, yeah. But really, it's about, like, Tim Rogers loves video games and I'll just watch him talk about whatever games he wants to talk about because he's so passionate. Um, And and I think that's probably another distinction to draw is like these kind of critical analysis reviews, they almost fall into the entertainment category. 
Like they've transcended the need for scoring games or giving recommendations. (laughs) Transcended. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) So like, I I think with, with this in mind, it's easy to draw some parallels between reviews, like your, your classic product review being connected to corporations and essays being connected to individuals. Like, yeah. It's hard to take places like IGN seriously when any journalist they've hired can be writing the content. Like, following an individual for their tastes helps me understand what's good about the game. And, like, if, if you're just clicking on someone you've never watched before, then, you know, that, that doesn't really count. But, like, generally, I, I look for content creators that I can kind of understand what they're like from a consistent perspective. Mm, so, like, mm. if I like someone who hates action games, right, and they say Bayonetta was pretty good, then, like, you bet your drooling gamer mouth I'm going to check that shit out <laughs> because, like, yeah. th- that person just in general doesn't like action games. So for an action yeah. game to catch their eye, like, it's going to be impressive on some level. Totally. Yeah, I hadn't considered that angle, but that's a very, like, to me, that's a very Darian angle. I love that that way of looking at it. It's very, very cool. <laughs> um, to, to me, what I really like is about, about, especially Tim Rogers, but it also applies to other video game, long-form video game essayists, mm-hmm. um, is that oftentimes it feels like they have thought about what whether or not they have to say is worth saying. Mm, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like they've they've actually written a script and then edited the script and tried to trim out all the parts of the script that seem like they don't matter as much to saying the thing that they're trying to say about the the video game. 100%. So like in 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 like the product review version or even in just like the lazy, you know, I'm going to go talk about a video game for half an hour version, which is this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just off the dome. There's not there's no like real um forethought on on exactly what the goal of what we're trying what the person is trying to say as they're speaking is. Mm. They're just going and then talking about it and you know, oftentimes it can be interspersed with like, oh, my preference for it is this or like uh yeah video games come a long way since pac-man and you know there's all that there's all these sort of like touch points but like when it, for the long form video uh, and in, in tim rogers case the interspersements are often like uh what would you call them long wandering segues uh, and non sequiturs that mm. seem completely disconnected from the title that they're talking about until they get to the end of the non sequitur yeah. and then you're like oh my god you know like this is the, it, they, they 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 pull the comedian trick on you when they're like they start talking about another thing mm. and then they wind it all the way back to originally you know talk about the thing that they were talking about in the first place and it all becomes linked up yeah dark souls trick yeah exactly and tim rogers is particularly good at that um, yep. and, and it just kind of like, after you see a couple of videos from the one person and you like them, like you just develop this kind of trust. And so when you're in the middle of watching a six hour review and then they start talking about random shit, it just kind of becomes relaxing. Cause you're like, mm. oh man, I wonder where this is going to go. You know, there's, yep. there's just yep. this like level of trust that you have where it's, you know, it's like watching a TV show. And I think that's why the entertainment thing kind of falls into it. Whereas like totally. the product review is advice. Like I think the critique is, is more entertainment than anything else. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, they do. So I, when I was asking like, what's the point, you know, like, I think you're right. Like the, they do serve different points. Like one, like you just said, it's just like, should you buy it? I don't know. Here you go. Here's, here's some information. Mm. Here's what I thought about it in 10 minutes. And then the other one's like, let me tell you about the story of my grandfather's death and how it relates to uh, Sekiro, you know? like Yeah, yeah. And, like, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but that's what I'm here for, you know? I'm here for the mm. stories, and I, I think, like, I, I like liking people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, when I, I see, um, like, a movie or I read a book, like, I like liking characters and... YouTube is this kind of weird realm where people are putting exaggerated versions of themselves in front of you and it just feels a little bit more real than, say, a character in a movie or a book feels. And, like, yeah. I just love hearing, like, tidbits about their lives and, you know, Tim Rogers does a really great job of explaining how he makes the videos and, yeah. like, when he talks through his process for creating a 12-hour review for Cyberpunk 2077, it's mind-boggling. It's just like, mm. wow, there's so much project management stuff here that I find really fascinating that, like, you just wouldn't get in any other medium. Yeah, yeah, you get this sort of, like, little window into their, into their life where it's like... You can totally see him sitting, you know, on the floor of an unfurnished New York apartment because his moving <laughs> company shafted him and he's only got his laptop from 2018 and he's trying to write the script for a video and he's been <laughs> yeah. at it for 18 hours straight and living off nothing but crushed up coffee beans because that's all he has, <laughs> you know. Like, and he's also got COVID. Like, <laughs> it's something like, you just see that that yeah. visual yeah. while he's talking and you're like, man, <laughs> yeah. all of this for me, <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, yeah, that's, that's a great kind of bottom line. All of this for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to, I want to pivot here if that, if that's cool with you and just sure. um, spend a bit of time talking about the impact of reviews on the industry. Okay. So like, um, I think reviews can absolutely have an impact on game sales. Um, I dug up a study conducted by Southern Methodist University in 2010. Um, and that kind of, that name scares me a little bit. Southern Methodist, that kind of sends alarm bells off in my head. But I don't know why. If you're in America and you can translate those words to my stupid Australian brain, by all means, please please let us know if that is an alarming collection of words or that's just, you know... That's just normal. That's just normal. That's what universities are called. Um, okay. Anyway, they, they found that video game review scores influence consumers. So people who were shown high review scores of the game Plants vs. Zombies before playing the game they tended to give the game a lower score than the review scores afterwards. Mm. Um, those given lower review scores prior to playing the game responded by giving the game higher review scores than those shown to them. Um, and I thought this is kind of a pretty solid example of how expectation can impact your experience. Like, yeah. as a species, we're not immune to hype psychology. <laughs> you know, mm. it's just... It's, it's interesting that, like, this is repeatable and and we see it a lot um yeah but more, more related to kind of what i was talking about before how the 
like product reviews inform consumers um, like in, in this study they did um, those shown the higher review scores were twice more likely to take a boxed copy of the game instead of $10 cash um, which is interesting but I think the kind of the big point here is that they were also 40% more likely to recommend the game to a friend than the low review groups oh low rev- initial low review shown to them correct yeah yeah so like this this study had a sample size of 188 right so like not not huge obviously you'd want like thousands of studies like this with the sample size games yeah exactly but either way 40 percent is a pretty big number when it comes to word of mouth recommendations based on review score like if you're running ign's video reviews you wield a lot of power due to the size of your audience um and like I don't know if you remember the big hoo-ha all those years ago, but one of the more notorious, or not notorious, but like infamous examples of their reviews impacting game sales was Alien Alien Isolation. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, I don't know if you remember, but like the hype was pretty strong for this game. The trailers looked good. The developers were clued into the Alien franchise in a meaningful way. Um, anyway, IGN gave it a 5.9 out of 10. Oh, wow. That is low. Right. So interesting that you say that. Um, Mm. so like a very small, insignificant portion of the internet was awash with discourse about IGN's misguided score, right? They were like, Mm. how could they give that game such a bad score? And, and like, you know, I would like to draw attention to the fact that in video games, what effectively is a six out of 10 is considered a bad score. Yeah. Um, and that is like mind boggling to me, but like a score of six out of 10 objective, objectively meaning above average, above average. Like, yeah. Or you might say good. Like I would, I would say a six out of 10 is good. Um, and like keeping in mind, assigning a score to something works best when you're reviewing it as a product. Six out of 10 tells you this is a good use of your time and money. Like, it's not exceptional. Mm. It's probably not going to convince people who aren't into the genre to play it. But it's not a 4 out of 10, which would be bad, right? Like, yeah. if, if I give something a 6 out of 10, I'm like, yeah, for the right person, this is a, a good expenditure of, of your mm. time and money. Um, and I just, I just thought, uh, you know, I just think that's so interesting that, like, for video games, it feels like a seven out of ten is mediocre. <laughs> you yeah, know, totally. like yeah. it, it, I'm not going to look at it unless it's got a nine out of ten. And of course, that just kind of feeds into itself, and everything has to be a ten out of ten now. You know, like yeah. I remember when Elden Ring came out, and you sent me this screenshot, and it was just like every popular media outlet ever giving it a ten out of ten. And, yeah, or a nine out of ten. Yeah, and mate, that that game is far from perfect. <laughs> mm. um, anyway, I've got a I've got a quote here um, from Tim Heaton, who is Creative Assembly Studio director. Um, so they're the they're the team that made Alien Isolation. Mm. Um, he doesn't mention IGN's review, but he does give a bit of insight into what success looks like in the AAA space. Right. All right. So he says, 2.1 million sales, it just didn't break out. Am I happy about that? I'm not happy about that. 
I think it did under-index in America. I think the genre just didn't shine with an audience that would let us break out. Two million is fine, right? Let's be clear. But we were unsure right till the very end about whether we would hit that breakout space or not. Alien Isolation 2 is not out of the question because we're so proud of it and there's possibly more to be said. But do we really want to be spending very significant amounts of money and getting close to break even or just about in the black? That's wow. not where Sega wants to be when we have a brilliant portfolio of other games that do great business. And I just thought that was just so interesting. You know, the fact that you've got a game selling 2.1 million and for them as like a large corporation, it's getting close to break even or almost in the black. Um, yeah. And, and when you compare, you know, that, that game sales, a game which IGN gave... 5.9 out of 10 and sold 2.1 million sales. So from IGN's perspective, critically panned, um, even though that's, you know, a good score, it's fine. Um, the, you know, the game then went on to sell 2.1 million. Like compare this to Cult of the Re Lamb. That recently yeah, came out. Breaking one mil. That break, broke one mil and everyone's like, fuck, this is huge success. Critically, people are loving it, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, man... It's such an interesting distinction between corporate and like indie or like AAA and indie, I guess I should say. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 100% everything you just said. Yeah. Being like 2.1 mil over 2 mil, this is not breaking even for us. Like maybe not even close and publishers not going to be keen for us to, or probably not as interested if we're in doing a sequel, if we're unable to like push over that. Um, is wild it's just like i don't i don't think you need that many people to make a game like alien isolation mm. i think i think something has gone very very wrong and i mean maybe it's also like just like the time that it came out and it's also like maybe that there's part of like that coloring it a little bit like it was a pretty game for the time and, and whatever but like you know development has made some or like making games has made some progress in that time i guess mm. um but with that said i still think that you could have made a game like alien isolation much cheaper and much shorter and way less you know way way less scope and still done pretty much everything that alien isolation had to say under their words yeah yeah um and and have it perform at 2.1 mil and have that be like a wild success yeah you know? like yeah there, there's there's no to me at least i don't think you need that many folks making a video game and i think if once you hit that point it's kind of like it, it really is do or die mm. like you either you either go down the route of like we're going to do live service, battle pass. There's going to be seasons to this video game and we need to foster a large and thriving community and ever-growing community in order to facilitate the continued progression and development of this video game. Yeah. Or you don't do that. Mm. You know, you go and you make um, Elden Ring or you go and you make whatever, you know, Cyberpunk 2077. You know, you just have fuck you money and you just make whatever you want, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, it's it's interesting how, like, that game has changed over time as well. Mm. Like, I, I remember, like, 2014, this was a time when I was paying attention to video games, media. Like, I was watching trailers. I, would, I was subscribed to the, the studio's YouTube channel. I was really yeah. excited for that game. 
Um, and I remember I was friends with um, one of the girls who worked at EB Games at the time. And, mm-hmm. and she, I don't know if you remember, but she gave me a copy a couple of days before it came out. And, oh, I don't remember. And I texted you and I was like, dude, you need to come around so we can play this. Um, I remember being at your place and playing that game, but I don't remember it being early. I guess I just was out of the loop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was early and like the first two hours of that game is so fucking good. It's just like super pretty. The atmosphere yeah. is 100% on the nail. Um, and And then it just... Like God of War before it, it just kind of throws all this shit aside and just gives you something extremely video gamey that doesn't really, I don't know, I don't know, maybe my expectations were too high, but there is this consistency in our opinion where we're like, man, I would have loved this game if it were 30 hours shorter. And, yeah, and, yeah. and I think it's like, it's part of like this industry that's eating itself, right? You know, like I think one of the least useful things in video games is The Last of Us Part 1 remake, right? It just came out. I I think it's completely unnecessary, but what it does, it gives Naughty Dog a paycheck, it gives IGN a paycheck, it gives everyone a chance to remember that The Last of Us exists, it creates all these videos that we've already seen before, you know, the YouTube content creators get to do more Last of Us videos, like it just kind of feels like the game industry has to feed itself, and because games have created this standard where they're like, you know, game of the year is won by a triple A experience that goes for 60 hours and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like very seldom that four hour experiences that are super tight, super well-designed actually reign supreme over those God of Wars and those, you know, um, whatever it is, the, the latest triple A franchise. And it's just like, I wonder if we're ever going to get to a point where eventually the four-hour experience is going to see some popularity and you will see these corporations being like, all right, you know, you're going to have a team of 50 people this time instead of 1,500. And you, you get to make a game that is much smaller scale, tiny scope, five hours max. Like, let's see what happens. Like yeah. uh, that's, that's kind of the reality that I'm living for at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. We, we sort of, I feel like we went over this a little bit in the previous episode. I can't remember which, which it was, but I definitely feel like with the, given the success of games like Cult of the Lamb, Goose Game, um, what was that other one that just came out that we we're talking about? Anyway, smaller, smaller games, shorter run times mm-hmm. and smaller studios, mm-hmm. uh, doing so well is definitely rattling some cages up in, corpo fucko land where they're, <laughs> where they're seeing these numbers and being like you know what like maybe we should splinter out development teams into smaller teams and do but the, like I, I think it's also a little bit of like maybe that won't happen because we're in like sequelitis land and mm. the only way that they they know to make profit is to you know rehash existing properties mm. so yeah there's i am hopeful but i think a lot of that hope is coming from teams like massive monster or house house or you know uh beethoven and dinosaur smaller teams making these games that um 
they've been given the opportunity to, you know, off the backs of some of the last few years of success that have been found by AAA and also some of the more recent success like that. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens, but I, I kind of don't have too much hope for the AAA space. Um, hmm. I think, yeah, it's definitely eating itself and I don't know what comes of the ashes, you know, like that's, that's <laughs> kind of the, the tricky part is it's like once we hit critical mass on this, which I feel like we're hitting currently, mm. it's like, where are we? We just end up with a bunch of like disenfranchised consumers and uh, people who don't have enough money to, to buy the next big, you know, $120 triple A game. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's real, it's real whack. Um, but yeah, there is, I think there is some light to be found. Yeah. Anyway, great, great um, point. So I, th- yeah. I, I think we've covered just about everything Jim wanted us to. Um, yes. But but he also asked how reviews have influenced the direction of game production over the years, and mm. like for me, that kind of felt hard to tackle. Like I wasn't really sure how you'd even measure something like that. So do you, do you have any like behind the curtain insights, like a game you've worked were working on that got released and like had a bad review or a good review like did that help shape things or like um it can um i think like there's a little bit of stuff out there about like you know metacritic metacritic scores you know influencing opinions of um of publishers on the success or failure of a game all that sort of stuff you Mm -hmm. know like that kind of is first blush but then like uh, and and then there's also like um, community sentiment for like those community based games where at all times you need to have kind of like a a vision or a scope on like how they're enjoying or not enjoying whatever the latest thing that that game's done like mm. it's kind of like an everlasting review mm. um, which is horrifying and um, yeah so I don't I don't really know I haven't I feel like I haven't been in the, in the scene quite long enough yet to have experienced like what it's like to get a really good review and, or what it's like to get a really bad review right yeah uh, and see whether or not like objectively my opinion on the game has been uh, not altered but you know uh, say for example I release a game that I know is good mm-hmm. um, like in my objective mind I guess um, based off what other people have told me before the game has come out mm-hmm. and I expect it to do well and then it doesn't do well as a result of two or three really bad reviews mm. I don't know how, whether or not that would color my opinion or, or reviews I'm sure it would mm. um mm-hmm. but I don't yeah I'm not sure I haven't had that many experiences with with reviews yeah okay um cool in, in my experience oftentimes developers do a lot of ignoring of reviews right Um, it's just just developers yeah it's more like a publisher thing to care about that stuff right okay so in in this scenario you're kind of in the best position in that you just get to interact with the art form and you get to ignore all of the kind of superfluous bureaucratic shit that goes over the top yeah so yeah there's also i mean there's there are parts of it that sort of you know, bleed through to you or you end up looking at just out of curiosity, you know, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, I had this game review that I worked on and you see a bunch of people saying really nice things or you see them saying not so nice things, you mm-hmm. know, like it, to me as like a, um, like a person, like a cog in the machine, I guess, like I just, I just do animation. It's always nice to be like, hey, this person really enjoyed the animation in the game mm-hmm. and then they'll go off to like slag off the rest of the game. I'm like, hey, I did my job. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh... So it's, yeah, it's, it, it is there. So, do you have any closing thoughts on on reviews? 
Um, only that everyone should go and watch uh, Rasputin. Uh, if you're interested in animation and you know visual stuff in movies, go and watch Every Frame of Painting. If you're interested in, um, you know, I don't know, just like general culture commentary, go check out James Lee. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a video game animations YouTube channel called Video Game Animations, and there's also one that's called New Frame Plus, which I highly recommend at the top of the list. Mm, New um, Frame Plus, okay. New Frame Plus is fantastic. Um, go and check out Jaden Animations. They're more of a YouTuber than a, a you know game reviewer, but they do a lot of video game content, mm -hmm. uh, and it's all animated, and she's wonderful. Uh, and go and check out Eurothug 4000. Uh, I really like their cozy review style and, you know, long form video game essays. They did a one hour long uh, Death Stranding review that I every now and then return to just to like <laughs> be in that space mm, with them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, of course, I think I mentioned Tim Rogers many times, but go watch anything from Tim Rogers. He's a mastermind. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll double down on Tim Rogers and Rasputin. They're, they're really mm. good. I'll add uh, Jacob Geller to that pile. He's, he's fantastic and he has um, lots of parallels with books and movies, more so than any other YouTuber that mm. focuses on video games that I've seen. Um, yeah, cool. And finally, I'd add Joseph Anderson to that pile. And good news, um, mm. we don't have to do our uh, Elden Ring episode anymore. Um, if, if people were keen for that episode, just go and watch Joseph Anderson's two hour video on Elden Ring. He, um, oh, he covers he all the gripes that I had, um, though his framing is a little different. Whereas I called it Dark Souls 3.5 with a horse, um, kind of done with the series now. He called it Dark Souls 4, 5 and 6, and he's also done with the series. Um, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, I mean... I feel like he did have some pretty good points around the amount of content in that game. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's a really good two hours. He talks about all the stuff that um, I found really challenging to get around and just a bunch of design decisions after they made Sekiro that where I was like, why are you going backwards? What, mm. what why do this? Yep. This is, this is bad design. Uh, but yep. yeah, it's just, it's a really solid video video that i think he covers most of the the bad stuff and all of the good stuff i'll definitely check that out i've written a note in my notepad hell yeah um, there is one last thing we don't have to do it but um <laughs> you mentioned before um 10 out of 10 you said briefly we, when you were when we were talking about video game review scores queuing yeah um which i, f I find really interesting mm. um we only just touched on it, but I wrote down in my notepad here is 10 plus 10, or 10 out of 10 perfect. And what is defined as a perfect review? What does that mean? I mean, this is a big one, <laughs> but so yeah, I just wanted to like float that out there and be like, I don't know if 10 out of 10 means perfect to me. Um, yeah. yeah what, what, what about you? So I think I did throw perfect out there when I described a 10 out of 10 a couple of minutes ago. And like, that's not what perfect means to me. Um, I think if I were to, to review video games and like give them scores and like I've done that on this podcast you know like yeah. I've you know played Gree or played whatever it is given you a couple of points and then given a score like that's why I didn't give you a score at the end of God of War because we talked about that for fucking 30 minutes it doesn't need a score <laughs> you, you know what I think yeah, um, yeah. I, I think for me like it, it is about the the product you know 
like how mm. how did this make me feel for the money like when i give something a score it's hard to not consider how much i paid for it as part of that score um, yeah, yeah. if if i were to treat it like i treat books and movies um you know where like i log my books on goodreads log my movies on on letterboxd for me the score is determined by like a couple of principles it's basically like how well i thought it was made so the craft um mm. how much i enjoyed it and would i recommend it and um i think i think before on this podcast i've said you know for me hollow knight is the only video game that i'd give a 10 out of all the video yeah. games i've ever played and and for me it's just because it's the best experience i've ever had with a video game and yeah. so that's got to be the top right like, I might play better video games down the line, and so that score might change. But for now, it's, like, the best experience I've ever had. So I guess that's a 10. Yeah. Um, and whilst that's obviously not going to be everyone's experience, especially, you know, having you just played it and just, you know, very different experience to mine. Mm. Um, and I think your personal connection to the game and like where you are in your life when you play it i think all that stuff yeah, yeah. counts quite a bit when it comes to trying to stick a score to a video game i'll also just mention quickly as you said where you are in your life also where society is in its life you know? like <laughs> yeah. I, th I think the fact that animal crossing came out right as the pandemic was hitting really flavored the score mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and oftentimes, it, and also where the medium is in its life, it can, it can flavor scores. Like, I think that's part of the reason why, like, Ocarina of Time is scored so highly is because as people were reviewing it, it was like, you know, one of the better things that had happened. And also there's also like, you know, nostalgia and all that all sort of stuff we mentioned before. But yeah, just like the, the medium's age is also quite young. And so it's always, it's like, oh, it's something novel. All right, 10 out of 10. You know? like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I see that happen. Um, so yeah, it's... It's, there's a lot of things that are, <laughs> that are floating around in this. What a great topic. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, solid topic. I Like I said at the start, I didn't realize how passionate I was until I was started thinking about reviews. And I'm like, man, reviews is just talking about video games. And I love talking about video games. <laughs> <laughs> and then this podcast has happened. Oh, uh, yes. Excellent. Hell yeah, man. What a, what a good one. I had written three lines of notes and we only talked about one of those lines so there you go oh my god so if you want to hear about joe's other two lines you can write yeah. in to the podcast it's almost the weekend pod at gmail.com uh just like jim did when he sent us this topic uh and yeah you can request those two lines i i don't know if people have forgotten but joe still has six honorable mentions from the top 10 episode that he's harboring no one's asked for them so we're not giving them out um so yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I, that, harboring makes it sound so evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, yeah. keeping them trapped under lock and key. They're developing Stockholm syndrome. Syndrome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a yeah. syndrome, but it's a sitcom. Um, yeah, and it's full of citrus. <laughs> uh, so on that note, we hope everyone has a lovely weekend, and we'll see you all next time when it's almost the weekend again. Farewell, everyone. Bye.